Good. All right. Well, outline a comprehensive counseling program. I think we're on number 19 as we work it on through. And uh, God willing, we'll get done all the counseling questions uh, today. At least you'll have an idea of what they were asking for and some notes. So here they want uh, counseling program to help a couple develop good communication patterns. A uh, number of reasons why they ask this question is because uh, often when a couple comes for counseling, what has gone by the wayside is their ability to really communicate with each other. Yeah, they, uh, they can communicate, but sometimes it's a little heated, uh, not very friendly, and they've gotten into some really bad habits. And habits are hard to break, good ones and, and bad ones. Uh, so this will ta- this will take uh, take some work here to do this. Uh, in a way, it, it it seems so simple, but when you work with them, you you will have to wrestle wrestle with them about it uh, to really see. And they won't see where they're where they're off on these. So you'll have to be gentle, helpful, admonishing to them. So basically, it's founded on these teachings, and these come from your uh, fundamentals, the four rules of communication. And then in your four rules of communication, you should have gotten some material called the conference table. The person teaching the four rules of communication may not have been able to go through the conference table, so you're probably, well, what, what is that? But it should be included in your notes. So as you go back and look at your fundamental notes, it, it should be there. Um, so comprehensive program, just starting out need to teach. Initially, the four rules of communications from Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. And you'll find that you'll have to teach things over and over again a couple times. Uh, And so usually, I will teach the four rules of communications at the minimum at least twice. Because what happens is, you know those verses, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, what are those verses about? Yeah, they're the put on, put off. Well, the neat thing about it is, from the rest of the chapter of Ephesians 4, it's, it's, it's all examples of put off, put on. That, you know, God had Paul right. And tucked in there are the four, four rules of communication. So when you teach about put off and put on, use that as an opportunity to introduce the four rules by going through there. And then later, you know, you'll teach it, teach it again, help it sink, sink in. So basically, it's be honest, keep current, and there's a typo there. Uh, it's not act the problem, it's, uh, it's act the problem, not the, not the person. And then uh, act and don't, uh, don't react Oh, uh, there. So now um, let's go. Let's look at Ephesians four and make sure we've got the the verses that go along uh, with it. So go to the end of uh, twenty four. And so with the be be honest. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be verse twenty five. All right. Therefore, each of you put off falsehood. And speak truthfully. It's easy to see the put-offs and put-ons. Uh, 26, then, is the keep current. And I think that goes, that goes down to, through 27. So the keep current is 26 and 27. Uh, I have a new Bible here. My old Bible, I had it written right there what, the, what they were. So this is a good exercise looking at the, the new Bible, uh, seeing where they break. So that's keep current. And that's going to all, that deals with anger, and that's going to be real hard for them to see what it is that you're putting off and putting on. The anger in itself, as we talked about yesterday, isn't necessarily wrong. It's whether we let it linger. So you're, you're putting off you know, bitterness that continues, and you're putting on dealing with issues that come up, dealing with them uh, quickly. Then you have attack the problem not the person. Okay, so you, you need to uh, skip down. And that basically there, attack the person, not the problem, is 
is 29. Now, when I, when I teach it, I put 29 and 30 uh, together. Um, I think, I'm not sure that 30 necessarily just goes with 29. I think verse 30 goes with all those verses. Because in 30, this is a key one, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I don't think that's just dealing with 29. It's dealing with all of those things. If those are characteristic of the way you're living, you are actually uh, grieving God. You know, he, uh, you've been saved. You've been made a new person. The Spirit's living in you. And you're continuing to live in the old way that you can put off the Spirit is grieved in that. So that there is the, um, the uh, attack the problem. And then the last two verses of the chapter, 31 and 32, act, don't react. And that is real easy to see the put-offs and put-on there. 31 is classic. Put that off. Get rid of. And right there, bitterness is the, the first one. That is a bitterness is a, a spiritual uh, cancer that uh, can get us. And as, as we get older, it's easy to d- develop that. Then you have the the rage and the anger, the brawling, the slander, along with every form of malice. Then thirty two, very what we need to put on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. So. 31 is the 31 is basically the normal way of living. When people do you wrong, 30 you're going to react in 31. Uh, and 32 is unless a person's a believer, 32 is out of reach. But uh, we are we are no longer called to live naturally. We are to live supernaturally. And so we can live uh, in 32, and ever perfect, but making good headway as we practice righteousness. And the more we practice it, the better we'll, we'll be at it with God's help. So that's what it's talking about there of the act that don't react. Reacting is 31. Naturally happens. We need to be intentional about what we're doing, and that's verse 32. So just teaching those, talking it through, uh, and then asking them. In, in each place, um, where you know, where, where's a place that you haven't been quite honest with each other? You're going to sign that for for homework. You know, what's something that's going on in your relationship where you haven't been uh, current? That you've let uh, bitterness begin to get a, a foothold, uh, and just working through that, uh, uh, asking those kind of questions to teach that. So here's homework assignment. You have them memorized the, the four rules and uh, also Ephesians 4.29. Uh, and record in your journals actual sentences they will say to one another that will be good for edification for the other. Let's look at um, 29 <clears throat> together. 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. All right, we don't want to speak like that. And then it says, but only what is helpful for building the others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. So it is, it is, it is fascinating to, as you're helping a couple, helping a person, asking them, all right, you want to, you want to speak to build this person up. What are their needs that need to be built up? It's like, oh, it's like blank. And, well, how, how can you build them up if you don't know the needs that need to be built up? And so the last couple I worked with, they, they, were, they were dumbfounded uh, of what, what to do. So then I had to send them home and ask them to talk, ask her to, t- ask her to tell him. What needs would you like to be built up in? And for him to tell her what needs you'd like to be built up there before they could say. And it was, it was really interesting, the things that, that uh, came out uh, between the two and where she needed help 
and would like help and where he needed it too. Um, so you're going to have to break it down as you work with the folks, break it down into small steps as, and help them progress and work through it. Just don't throw the verse out there and think they got it. It's much better to work with a single verse, break it down, make sure they explain it, give them small steps to follow. We're much more familiar with it. We've, you know, we've been through the fundamentals in advance and now here. But they're in the midst of a turmoil. It's very emotional and all. They're not going to see what you're going to see. So you may need to back up and do some things. Now, theological reading always give something that's theological, doesn't mean you give them, uh, you know, we've got lots of books in there. You don't give them a 300-page book every, every week to read. Uh, that, that's, not, that's not fair uh, to do. But fortunately, so many things are broken into little booklets and pamphlets. Those are easy uh, to read in a week or two. And then you also have to judge with your, who you're working with. Um, I found that people have gotten so busy... Uh, Certain folks, it doesn't work to meet with them every week because their life is so crazy. They don't have time to get the homework done in a week's time. So with certain people, I, we do it every other week, every two weeks. Then as life gets busy, they have visitors over the weekend and this and that, and they didn't get the homework done that week. They've got two weeks to work on it. So that seems to help people, give them enough time to do the work, Give some time for the Spirit to work in their lives. And uh, then when we get together every other, every other time, every other week, they seem to be better prepared as opposed to like rushing the night before just to get it done, to, to, to have it done. But two books that have some good theological reading on communication skills are The, the Excellent Wife and then The Exemplary Husband. You know, the Excellent Wife by Martha Peace and The Exemplary Husband. Now, those are whole books. Uh, where it says Communication and Conflict by Stuart Scott, that's, that's a smaller booklet. Uh, basically, the, uh, the secret is those smaller booklets by Stuart Scott, they, he's written From Pride to Humility, The Communication and Conflict, it's no big secret, uh, he didn't write those. The Focus Publishing, who had the rights for uh, Exemplary Husband, they just pulled the chapters out of Exemplary Husband and uh, put them in smaller things because Exemplary Husband is it's a tough book to read and to, to work through. The, and uh, so um, that's, that's where those come from. So you wouldn't assign Exemplary Husband and assign these. It's exactly the same material on the men's side. So there's where I mentioned use, use two weeks. There's two weeks to work through or at least two session times. Even that little booklet, Communication and Conflict, is pretty rich. Got a lot of things in there. So PFG, remember, is uh, uh, adults that we joke don't do homework. You know, that's, that's Project for Growth. The first week is underlined five to ten most important points for you. Come ready to discuss. It seems obvious to come ready to discuss, but uh, you have to say we're going to we're going to talk about this, and I'm depending on you. They, we're going we're going to talk here. Uh, record in your journal at least one incident of what you put off and corresponding put on to please God and love your spouse. Uh, if you're working with a couple, <clears throat> it'll be interesting. They'll. They'll write uh, maybe something where they put off, put on in communication at their workplace. But their real issue is communicating to their spouse. So you're going to have to say, all right, w during these, you know, these months here, we're going to work on issues in, in the home, in the marriage. And so be, it's just not putting off and putting on anything. It's putting off and putting on things that will help in the relationship. Some other great books are the, the Complete Husband, and uh, that's by Lou Priola. Uh, that's in the, the leadership training for men here. That's a book that's uh, used. There are a lot of good chapters in there on communication, and uh, a number of them are good because you 
gives sheets to the wife. She fills them out and gives them, gives them back. And uh, uh, just tell you a story where, where I was before. Um, I was using the Exemplary Husband book in, in our men's group. And so Brad called and he said, well, what are, you, what are you guys doing there? And I told him, we're doing the Exemplary Husband. And uh, so he ordered a, he ordered a case for, uh, um, for one of the beginning Joshua's men's group, the Exemplary Husband book. And uh, when he got it, he, it was just so, it's just so in-depth. There's, there's no way you can get through it in a month. So he called me. He called me back and said, "Ken, we cannot do this here." We, so then they settled on the complete husband. But uh, because of that, he sent me a case of exemplary husband free, so he couldn't use them. So, but uh, the complete husband is, has a lot of lot of great material. A book, Christian Living in the Home, that is an excellent, excellent book. It's very basic, and especially if you have a couple that are not readers. You know, you probably wouldn't be here in this, uh, at this point if you weren't somewhat of a reader. But there are some people who, uh, they've, uh, since they left high school or left college even, some people have never read, you know, a book. Uh, and so they come into counseling, it's like, oh, whoa. Uh, but this is very, very simple and basic, and he's right to the point. It helps someone get going. And uh, I've seen people who come into counseling and they've never read uh, you know, a book since they left formal schooling. And as they got into it and started to see the rich things that were in there that helped them live a life that was pleasing to God, uh, they became uh, real, real readers. I just had uh, the last couple working with a very busy man, not, not a reader, uh, but as he worked through... Uh, peacemaking for the family. He got so excited about it, and we were only meeting every other week that he went and bought Brad's book and, and read, through, read through that uh, time. So it's nice. It's great to see those things happening. And then Strengthening Your Marriage. Strengthening Your Marriage is a neat book it's by Mac. Um, that, that book is a great book for people who um, are, are condensers, uh, typically your engineers, accountants, other people like that. Because uh, when Mac wrote the book, uh, he, he, it's an outline. And he, he, usually when you write a book, uh, Brad and I have written some chapters together. There's four books. You know, first I write an outline and then fill it in with, with sentences and then make it paragraphs and put it all together. Well, he never did that, and they published it as an outline. So it's an outline form, but boy, you can, you can see the points. It doesn't get lost in the clutter, and it is very, very helpful and very uh, uh, valuable uh, also. But there, uh, well, the one thing about Mac is that uh, we use a book, uh, prepare, Preparing for Godly Marriage by him. Uh, that's not the exact title, but something like that. And he, he doesn't think anything of asking you to look up 50 verses. And so you just got to be careful when you assign it. Uh, don't, if people, they'll, they'll be looking, you know, you'll wonder what the bags are under their eyes, what they've been looking up all the verses since last week that Mac has asked them. So whenever you give them anything that, from Wayne Mac, just tell them, look up a verse until you get the idea and then just, you know, skip the rest until you get, find one that illustrates the point. Uh, he unbelievable on just his scripture knowledge and ability. Now, coming back to it here, the second teaching session coming back is okay. So you taught and you gave homework. Okay, taught about the four rules of communication. You've asked them to memorize that. You asked them to memorize Ephesians twenty nine. Now they're back. The second session. Uh, I didn't write it there, but what you would do in the uh, the uh, beginning of the second session is that you would go over their homework. You would ask them, okay, uh, which, one, uh, which one of you want to go over Ephesians uh, 4.29 first? Okay, uh, okay tell me, uh, tell me uh, what you uh, put off this week and what you put on in communication. What was an area where uh, you really spoke to the need of your, of your wife and built her up? And all. So you would go over it. 
Now these are new things. So now you teach how to ask for forgiveness and grant forgiveness. Because if you're going to communicate, you're going to be asking uh, for this. And the, the, most, the interesting thing about the Christian life is that as you get older, hopefully you'll be getting more mature, is you're going to end up asking for forgiveness more. You would think, well, I'm, I'm more mature. I'm not sinning as much. Uh, that might be a little bit true, but you're going to be more aware of your sin. Uh, Paul, when he, his beginning letters said, you know, he's a sinner. When he got to the, near the end of his life and was writing, he said, I'm the greatest sinner, the worst of sinners. So um, you want to help the people be able to ask for forgiveness. And then when you grant forgiveness, what that really means, you know, I forgive you. It's just a few words there, but what are those promises of forgiveness and what do they mean? So the... the um, the Peacemaker book, Peacemaking, by Ken Sandy, or The Peacemaking for Families. The, the, the book, Peacemaking, is the, was the first one he wrote, uh, but it's, it, it has everything in it. The Peacemaking for Families is usually a little bit easier for people to grasp, uh, and it has the key things in it and uh, teaches about uh, forgiveness. So for homework, then... Uh, you work through Ephesians 4.32. That's the very last verse in that chapter of the, the key things that they need to be putting on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. That's the key. Uh, record items that forgiveness needs to be asked for. Right. Uh, taking, un, uh, taking unforgiven sin or bitterness to the conference table at this point, would be ineffective. You need to get these things uh, out in the air, get the major things before you move to the conference table. Then have them, have them with you and ask as they ask for forgiveness and grant forgiveness. So sometimes some of the issues that they're, they're dealing with are so, are, by this time are so uh, deep and so key that you actually want to be there as they ask it, so that it doesn't generate into a, uh, an argument that gets out of control. And also, most of us, most of us are, are pitiful, at least when we begin, asking for forgiveness. Uh, we think we're doing really well when we say, uh, will you forgive me uh, that I made you upset? And, uh, that's... You're really laying the problem on the other person that they're the ones that got upset. It's not you haven't mentioned at all about what you've done done wrong uh, at all. So you'll have to teach them about that. Um, so um, we can work work through that. Basically, make some quick notes when you're asking for forgiveness. You want to touch on. Uh, it's not in your notes anywhere. I, I don't think you want to touch on three aspects. As a person, we have a mind, we have emotions, and we have a will. So when you ask for forgiveness, you want to, first you want to be dealing with the mind. So if, if I have sinned against Beth, I want to call it what it is. If I have lied to her, I want to say, Beth, I have, I have lied to you. I want to be uh, specific about what it is. The emotions is that if you're asking for forgiveness, you need to connect with the other person in that they've been hurt, and you need to acknowledge that they've been hurt there. And so it's not, oh, forgive me because I lied to you. It's, uh, Beth, please forgive me that I lied to you. I didn't tell you the, the whole truth that I should have. And I know that this, this hurt you. You're trusting of me. Uh, to speak the truth, you're trusting in me to serve you, and I'm not doing that. Uh, and I know the pain that that has, has caused you. And it now, and, he, and it's just not the emotion on the person that's been offended, but for them to, for you to also be honest about that, you know, it hurts me that I hurt you in that way. And that's a, that's a connecting with that person. The last part, you've got the mind, the 
emotions, and in the will, is to say to the person, well, what it's going to be like the next time you're tempted. So to say, okay, Beth, that the next time that I'm tempted not to tell you, you know, the whole truth is uh, I am asking the Lord to help me here so that from now on I really do want it to be different, where my will is involved in God's help. When you ask for forgiveness in that way, you can see how that then it's the, the person who's been sinned against, they've been hurt, and the, the trust has been violated, how it is easier for them to say, yes, okay? This person's told me it's a sin. They, they've expressed how it hurt, hurt me and hurt them, and they're giving me some hope that the future's going to be, be different. And so work through with the folks. And so actually, um, I ask them on a, a sin that they've done, I teach that, and then I actually ask them to write out their statement of forgiveness, looking to develop those those points. And I get a copy of it and to see if they have it there and whether they've moved into fuzzy land or they stay, you know, uh, very uh, specific about, you know, what is going on there. And that there's no... Uh, we all, when we're asking for forgiveness, want to throw in words like, you know... Uh, I lied to you, but you did this, or beca- or because, or if. You know, there are no ifs, there are no buts, no becauses, no nothing. It's You have to own your own sin. Yes, there might have been circumstances that set it up, but those circumstances, you're responsible for, for your sin. So that's part of what's being talked about, about there. Okay, so the third session... Uh, Teaching session, now teach them to use the conference table. I give them the notes that I got from fundamentals and then for homework. And we go through it. There are different roles for the husband and the wife. And then I have them uh, memorize the Ephesians 4.31, the things that are put off. And then I record a list of crucial problems that need to be settled at the conference table. Could be involvement with in-laws, who will do the chores around the house, developing a recording budget. You know, most, a lot of people have trouble with uh, finances and all, and money getting uh, uh, spent. You know, they, they say that a woman will uh, take you to the poor house slowly, but men just do it in big chunks. You know, they just go out and buy a boat or a, four, you know, a forerunner right off, right off the bat, you know. So very different ideas on what uh, is absolutely necessary for the family. Uh, so needed that new bass boat. Uh, so um, let's see. So work and some of these here. I when the first time they do the conference table, uh, I try and start out with some of the easier ones uh, to warm up with, and then uh, later, you know, we'll deal with sexual intimacy that may have broken down. We'll deal with that at the conference table. So then the fourth. Now, this isn't the only things we're doing in the counseling time. We're doing other things, too. But this is so we're this is part of what we're doing. So the fourth session during the next counseling session, review the crucial problems with them, uh, assign an easy problem for the first table. Uh, We're going to do summer vacation. Will Sally go to kindergarten at public Christian or homeschool? Um, this may or may not be an easy one, but uh, uh, working on things uh, like that together. Fifth session at the next counseling center, review with them. When you do the conference table, it's, uh, you make a written action, you write it down. Uh, you write down what the issue is you're being discussed, and you write the outcome down so you clearly understand what it is. And I have to tell you that uh, uh, Beth and I have a, just a blessed marriage, but there are issues that we, we need to do the conference table. Because we find three weeks later, we, we, we both have very, very different views on what was settled on. And uh, so we have learned the best thing to do, and we know what category they're in, and uh, we, need, we do it, and we write it down. We've got to clear what it is we decided and how we're going to 
going to progress. So, all right. The fifth one here is the written record to see what topic was discussed, what solutions were reached, what steps that each person is taking, and what topics still have not been resolved. Discussed together in the session, demonstrate the four rules and, and the conference table. So, and then the last one, throughout the following counseling session, the counselor is to provide further accountability and redirect as they work through other communication problems and decisions. So, uh, hopefully that'll give you an idea what they're looking for on that question, and you develop your own. And you don't have to... How many did I have? I took it to five. You don't necessarily have to go to five. It might work with three. But the idea is to to demonstrate you have an understanding of the four rules of communication, uh, an understanding that you will use the conference table and where, where to use it with folks. Okay? Good. All right. That was 19. Let's go to uh, 20. All right. This is would you work with, cooperatively with a physician, a psychologist, and justify your answers Biblically. Okay. Now, working with a physician, I'm going to take the point of view that working with a physician is very important. And I believe it's a very valuable thing to do. And uh, the reason is we are all spiritual and physical beings. And uh, these two aspects of our nature are interconnected and interdependent. Often it's difficult to know where spiritual ends and the physical begins. As you're working with, with folks, okay, now is this really a, a spiritual problem or is it a physical problem? Uh, they, they are a needed part of the healthcare team when a person exhibiting behavior that may have organic origins, a physician needs to be involved. So, if, <clears throat> as an example, Whenever I have somebody that comes in and they say they are depressed, I ask them to, before the next time we meet, that they get a full physical medical workup. Now, uh, this, can, this can sometimes be a problem because sometimes a depressed person, they have lost their job and they don't have insurance, things like that. Uh, there's an illustration here I'll share with you. And uh, I actually, uh, in the one in this case, and have done it in the, in the past, is had to pay for the person's physical from the benevolent fund of the church. Got uh, folks that over... At that church there I was at, uh, uh, it was convenient because I watched over the benevolent fund, so I could do that. Uh, here at Grace Fellowship Church, we have the deacons that watch over the benevolent fund. And uh, so they, that might be something you make a request so the person can get the care that they need. Uh, so uh, that's, that's important. So somebody comes in. So that's how tied I like to be. Fortunately, here at Grace Fellowship Church, we have two medical doctors who... Uh, are very involved in our counseling. If, uh, Dick Gatra, he is uh, now he is retired. He's been a uh, uh, doctor in the emergency room for decades, and so he's very involved. So we have his help and uh, Don Don Price. He happens to be my family doctor, and maybe some of you know him. He's also been uh, very involved in getting more involved as he has has time in counseling and and helping. So. Uh, both of those uh, folks are very thankful for them. So symptoms of depression, chronic fatigue, excessive fear, etc., may not uh, solely be caused by sin in the counselee's life. Symptoms may be from organic diseases such as diabetes, hyperthyroid, Parkinson's. Uh, if present, organic disease need to be treated by a physician. You want those to be cared for. Now, if a person, let's say, has, has Parkinson's, uh, uh, that that's quite a trial the person has. Uh, then the the counseling part isn't for you to cure them of Parkinson's. You're not going to be able to 
to do that. You really can't do that. Even the doctor can't do that. But your counseling part is to be able to help them work through this disease in a way that is pleasing to God. Um, wasn't, there one, wasn't there an actor who had Parkinson's and just committed suicide? Uh, yeah, Williams, Robin Williams. No, he had that and uh, became depressed and uh, committed suicide. So uh, we don't want that to happen uh, among us, our people. So those kind of things. Spiritual a- uh, aspects coming to the forefront from a disease will be cared for by the counselor. Worry, anger, unbelief. How could God do this to me? There must not be a God. Homework. When anyone comes for care with physical symptoms, a complete physical. Now when you, when you do this, uh, just don't ask them to get a physical. Ask them to sign a waiver with their doctor that the doctor can give you a summary report on the physical. And so some doctors will give you a call uh, afterwards and directly tell you the the summary of it. Uh, For the doctors to communicate to you, you must first receive permission from the counselee. So you need to talk to them about that, get those permissions, and and so forth. Um, Now, Having a good working relationship with a physician is invaluable for the health of your counselee. Uh, one Christian doctor that I'd worked with in the past, it was another church, uh, has been very helpful in caring for a counselee with extreme paranoia. This person had gotten, this person was uh, a devoted believer. She was a, a model lady in the congregation, sort of like the guy I was talking about last night. Um, and uh, uh, she became psychotic. I mean, she just became, you know, off off the wall here. I mean, we had uh, we had aliens landing in her front yard. Uh, there were there was there were some that were living behind her water tank. I mean, it's just crazy uh, that you would hear someone speaking like this. So by the time uh, a friend of her, they, they, she was in the church. It was a large church like Grace. I didn't know her that well. And a friend of her brought her. By the time I saw uh, one counselee, life had become unbearable for her. I mean, just out of control. She had lost all comprehension of, of reality. There were varying characters outside and inside her home who were out to de- destroy her. And because she had gotten in her mind, because they were poisoning her, she was no longer eating. You know, she was, she was gone. You know, I wasn't sure we could, uh, uh, could, could save her. Uh, but... Uh, the Christian, and this this was a uh, referred to a young doctor in the congregation. He hadn't really been exposed to biblical counseling. He certainly hadn't done anything like fundamentals or anything. So this is a new thing to him, and uh, I didn't really know him, uh, but he he stepped right on up. Christian physician, at my request, took her on as a patient, conducting a thorough physical exam, including even a brain MRI. Sometimes a tumor will cause this kind of uh, psychotic uh, episode, especially when it uh, starts gradually and then it becomes a continuous nature. Uh, after he'd done all that work and it ended up the church paid for that, he gave us as reduced rates as possible that he could. But nothing organically was, was found. This result gave those helping her spiritually more confidence in the sufficiency of the biblical approach. Okay, we've eliminated all this on this end, so we've got to go at it. You know, uh, with everything we've got here to help this this lady from uh, the Word of God and from praying. Uh, God's been uh, very gracious to this counselee. She's now leading a functioning, God-pleasing uh, life. So, yes, she responded well, got her sleep, uh, sleep patterns back in normal. We got her eating. We got uh, So it uh, was just neat to watch. Though there were a number of steps taken to cooperate with this physician. I, when I called him up, I shared with him the data before his examination so he could see that you know, I had done the best I could in understanding this person. I was able to explain to him what was going on. Uh, we discussed uh, his care and tests together. You know, okay, what was I asking him to do? And he agreed, agreed to that. And uh, then since the counselees become financially destitute, service were paid from the church. The Benevolent Fund told him that up front. This wasn't going to be 
a charity case. We were willing to pay, and but he certainly absorbed things. But it helps to to be able not to put that on someone also. Lastly, the physician, I gave him, like he wasn't really exposed to biblical counseling, but there's a book by Bob Smith, the Christian Counselor's Manual, that's very good. So I just gave him a copy, and uh, he really uh, appreciated that. And just, as I was thinking about this uh, yesterday, going over the notes, I remembered that, uh, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know this guy, but he really, he really stepped up. And uh, through this, uh, he never became my doctor, but we became uh, be friends. You know, see him around church and talking. And uh, actually, I was uh, uh, coming as one of the times that I was coming to interview here at Grace Fellowship Church. And uh, I was at home, living up in Valparaiso, Indiana. And I I was behind schedule. I was late getting my things packed to get down here. So I, you know how you have those attic doors you pull down. So I pulled the door down. Well, I pulled that door down fast, and it came, and it smacked me right in the middle of my head. Blood went all over the place. And uh, so I called him up and said, I need a quick fix. So he stitched me right on up and sent me down here. And uh, sure, I looked funny, but I didn't discuss the elders too much with my head, so they let me uh, come back for a second interview and all. But uh, um, it's interesting how God just weaves people's lives uh, together. So, so it was really nice of them to do that on a Saturday afternoon and just get me going. Uh, regard to referring counselees to a psychologist, um, <clears throat> I still think I can say this. I, I've, never, I've never done this except in the extreme cases when a counselee needed to be admitted to behavior medicine clinic in a hospital because they were dangerous to themselves. So I would not send someone to just a private office, but there are a number of times when we've had people uh, or met a person and they really are suicidal uh, and uh, need to have them under observation. And here in Kentucky, is if you send them, is it 72 hours that they'll keep them, Mike? That's an involuntary hold. Okay. It has to be voluntary? If it's voluntary, they can leave any time they want. But if if the police is making them go, it's 72 hours. Okay. Yeah. So I've I've found the police very helpful. I've had uh, police take them to emergency rooms. I've had other times. And then they're going to be dealing with uh, psychologists. I remember my... The other church I was at, there was a lady. I've had people come and say they're suicidal. Uh, where our church was located, there was an example of that. Um, uh, if you look at the southern tip of Lake Michigan, we were only 10 miles from the southern tip. It was the Dunes, Dunes National Park there. And I remember someone saying, you know, I'm suicidal. So sometimes when someone says they're suicidal, you don't, want to, you don't want to say anything to them because you'll think, oh, you're putting thoughts in their mind. No, you ask them. If you're suicidal, how are you going to kill yourself? Uh, and if they've got a good way they're going to do it, uh, then pay attention to it. One person came in and said, I'm suicidal. How are you going to do it? Well, I'm going to go up to the dunes park and I'm going to drive my car into the lake. You can never drive your car into the lake. You'll never get across the sand. So I knew that that person was not you know, serious about it. But if they say, I went out last week and I bought a gun and I have ammunition or I have all these pills and they, you know, they can label, tell you what the pills are, you better do, you know, better do something about that. Uh, so, so usually the foundation, because uh, I don't want to recommend, is usually the foundation of their approach are diametrically opposed to biblical standards. Other care could cause greater harm to a counselee. As a shepherd, I do all I can uh, to not put one of my people in uh, harm's way like that. So that's uh, at least where I, I stand on that. Now, I've told you before, I have used uh, a psychiatrist. Now, the difference between a, a psychologist and a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist is an MD, and so they can uh, prescribe medicines, and a person needs medicines. Sometimes you just need medicines to uh, stabilize the person's mind so you can... Uh, get some sense out of them to deal with spiritual spiritual things. All right. So, okay, 21, restructuring. And uh, this, is a, this is actually a pretty tough question, but there's a number of things in the, the book. 
And they're going to deal with a, a tough issue here, homosexuality. So define total restructuring, describe how it works using a case regarding homosexuality as a model. So I don't... Uh, <clears throat> this here, you're going to get this out of uh, competent to counsel where it talks about this. Basically, what you're doing in... Sometimes a, a person's sin or lifestyle has really... It involves their whole life. And homosexuality is one of those sins that it involves their whole life. Plus, for many homosexuals, it inv- it's their whole identity. You know, ask them, uh, uh, that's what they do, that's what they think, that's only the people they hang around with, that's everything about them. And so you're just not going to have to work with homosexual their sexual behavior, you're going to have to deal with all kinds of things in their life. So that's what it's talking about with total restructuring. It means building a life of love, a life structured in every aspect by the commandments of God. So it looks at all aspects of counselee's life, just not the one sin in question. When a counselee is consumed with a life-dominating sin, both the counselee and counselor are tempted to spend all their time and energy just correcting of that sin. So, emphasize that a major sin will impact all the aspects of a person's life. So, just circle that impact all. That's uh, so important to realize. To bring real and long-lasting healing, the all-encompassing must be dealt with along with many other areas of life. These additional areas must be disciplined. You can underline that. In, in such a way to please God. Example, when there's adultery, these issues may also need to be dealt with. Lying, right? Oh, that even, even today with uh, uh, adultery being called an affair, there's usually lying that's involved. Uh, teaching this person how to love uh, their wife. Um, often they've, uh, you know, if it's the husband, separate themselves from uh, really disciplining and instructing the children. Uh, they have idols of the heart, uh, pleasure, power, and an idol must have sex uh, their way, the way they see it in their mind. It impacts their work, their leisure, their church, their family life, everything. You can see that. So for the sin of homosexuality, uh, circle that verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 there. It talks about how lists of sins that people who are characterized by these, these are not people then that are characterized as being a part of the kingdom of God. So the reasons homosexuality needs to utilize total restructuring is that homosexuality is so controlling of one's complete life that discipline in many areas need to be developed. So underline that controlling uh, part there. Um, Like I said earlier, may even be the definition of their own identity. Uh, For their life to be characterized by long-term repentance and freedom from this all-encompassing sin. So you see a number of uh, pages there in the Christian Council Manual, 403 to 412. So that will give you a lot of information. So here's an example. A A homosexual typically has perverse social relationships. So needs to be taught how to treat older women as a godly mother, uh, younger women as loved and respected sisters, men as as brothers, and older men as fathers, just helping them deal with these relationships and social relationships. Another area that will need restructuring is the speaking of truth. You know, lying is a complicated problem of the homosexual uh, lifestyle and problem. Uh, even in our society, to be able to practice homosexuality, lying is often used. We've, we've had a number of, of folks here at the church that we've helped with in uh, homosexuality, and yes, uh, there's quite a bit of, of lying, especially if somebody is in a church and they are practicing or looking for uh, uh, people to uh, have relationships with. So counseling must be held, a counselee must be held accountable to putting off falsehood and putting on speaking the truth on all occasions. A final example of total restructuring is in the area of their activities. 
So circle that activities. This is very key. You're really going to get into this person's, person's life. Often the homosexual promiscuity occurs in the dark hours of, of night. Uh, I, worked, I worked with a guy who was a, a homosexual and um, you know, when I worked up in uh, Boston, and uh, yeah, a lot, uh, and we actually became—I uh, I was a believer by then, and uh, we became—we uh, became good good friends. But uh, uh, really tried to. But then I didn't know anything about biblical counseling. I myself, I was just trying to figure out my own life uh, then. But I didn't get drawn into it. Our friendship was uh, appropriate, but I know that even in the Boston area and where he was, even though it was a very open thing, a lot of people uh, coming and going, it will, still was practiced at uh, weird hours of the night. He, he, he didn't even, he, you know, I would go out at 7 o'clock and do stuff and be home at 11. He never even get, thought about going out till it was 11 or midnight and uh, doing things. So... Uh, here, the counselee's sleep patterns must be established so that they're sleeping at night and not out on the, on the town. Homosexual life must be uh, disintegrated with uh, new pieces picked for a totally new structure in life that's pleasing uh, to uh, God. Fortunately, now we have lots and lots of very, very good books with, on uh, homosexuality to help testimonies of men and women who have moved from a uh, homosexual lifestyle to a uh, 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 pleasing uh, style in in the Lord. So really neat, neat things happening. So both on the men and women's side, but this is one where you have to totally re- restructure. There's a, I don't remember the, I don't remember the title of the book. Maybe I'll try and get the title of the book during a break. But there's really a neat thing that's that happening. There was a there was a lady, and uh, I think she was at the University of Syracuse, and uh, she was uh, she actually taught in lesbian studies there at the University of Syracuse, and uh, there was a pastor up there who just just sent her sort of uh, had heard about her and teaching and uh, sent her a a note just of. Uh, encouragement for her as a person if she ever wanted to talk and this and that and be, befriended her. And uh, I mean this was a lady who was militant toward it. And usually um, in biblical counseling if someone was militant toward homosexuality we typically let them go and be militant. Uh, we would help the ones who wanted help. But here was a case where there was a pastor who reached out and uh, he actually was one who was trained in biblical counseling. I reached out to her, and in uh, time, uh, she came to the Lord. She repented of her sin. Uh, she's married now, but it was a total restructuring. She had to get rid of her partner. She had to resign from her position at the university and so forth. But God does, uh, still, he does great miracles 